0: first service, as you can imagine. How many of y'all needed an extra cup of coffee today? Anybody? Stay up late. Maybe you watched the ball drop. Uh, Maybe you watched Ohio State's kicker shank it to the left. (laughs) I don't know against Georgia. Um, On Friday, uh, hopefully you saw Tennessee whoop up on Clemson. Okay. Um, Man, y'all's kicker is uh, Tennessee's best player. So uh, thank y'all for that. Uh, But no, it's been a great weekend. Uh, Man, I hope that you had a great Christmas. I hope that it was great spending time with friends and family and everybody. Um, Whether you liked them or not, you survived, okay? Uh, Hopefully you didn't kill anybody uh, during that time. But uh, hard to believe it's 2023, huh? I mean, what a crazy, I mean, it seems like December was here and then gone, and here we are in a new year. But uh, what a better—I uh, couldn't think of a better place to be than right here and in, in our, with our faith family, starting off the first day of 2023 together. Um, I know it's cliche, but I often do this. I don't know if you do this. Hope you do this. Maybe you're like, "No, nah, I don't do that." But. When it comes time for the, at the beginning of the year, it's a great time. I know it's cliche to really look at some resolutions, kind of think of some things, reflect on the past year, say, hey, I want to do things a little bit different in 2023. Uh, I want to start doing this, stop doing this, whatever the case may be. Maybe it's like, hey, I want to read some more books in 2023, or, hey, I really want to, um, you know, I really hate my job, so I want to change careers, or there's some things uh, with the, the place I work, or in my job, or with the company I own, some incentives, or some goals that I would like to reach this year. There's a lot of different things that I hope that you kind of goal, goal set and look at um, as we start a new year. I know it's cliche, but for many of us, myself included, my goal for 2023, at least one of them, Is to lose some weight. Can I get amen? Amen. Why are y'all saying amen? Y'all are supposed to be like, no, you don't need to lose weight. Um, But anyway, I I know, like, I lost some weight earlier in the year, about a year ago, and then I gained it all back, and I'm like, man, I need to lose. I need to lose some weight. So um, I'm going to be diligent. I say that not to brag, but for accountability. All right, you can be like, hey. You're fat. You need to lose weight, okay? Um, don't tell me that. It hurt my feelings. But, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's just one of those things that I think many of us are like, hey, I need to eat well. I need to exercise better. And so I kind of in my mind, uh, I've created this club. It's called the Fat Pastors Club. Um, but that's fat with a PH, okay, not with an F. Um, you know, anybody can join. You don't have to be a pastor. I'm the only member right now. Um, you can join. It's a seven-day free trial um, after that. You have to pay $100 a month to join me at the gym. Just kidding. That's a joke, okay? Y'all are like, what in the world? But but we all have goals and stuff like that. But it, it hit me, and as a teaching team, we were thinking about this as we were preparing this series, that often it's pretty easy for us to set goals that are things like lose weight, read more books, do better at my job, whatever. But when it comes to growing in our faith and our walk with Jesus, oftentimes we don't set any goals. Oftentimes, we neglect our relationship with Jesus and all kind of other goals are precedent. And so God takes the back burner. And so what we want to do is really challenge ourselves, challenge our church and our faith of what are we currently doing or what are we going to do in 2023? What are some resolutions, commitments, goals that we are going to make to grow and mature in our walk with Christ? And we either... Don't do that because our relationship with Jesus really isn't that important or which I'm guessing this is probably the case for many of us life gets in the way and there are a lot of things that are on our plate that not with you know bad intent it just seems like all these things happen and before you know it like I said God is on the back burner and our relationships on the back burner and so we spend time with our kids and in their sports and in our jobs and with our families. And before you know it, it's like, I know I should read the Bible. I know I should go to church. I know I should serve. I know I should give. I just feel like I'm distant from God. And all these other things have crept into our lives. So what if in 2023, that's different? What if as a campus, what if as a church, what, what if you as an individual, 2023 was the, the most significant year in your life as a believer, that you said, man, this was the year that I grew, I was committed, I started out strong, I ended strong and finished well, and I grew and matured. And even think about people that you could lead to Christ this year, that you can disciple. And so over the next few weeks in this series, we're real creative, it's called resolutions, okay, that we are going to be challenging one another. To to really set the bar high, raise the standard and set the bar for us to step up and to say, what can we begin to do right now that we're not currently doing to grow in our walk with Christ and really to see as an outcome, more people come to know Christ. I was reminded of the passage in Hebrews chapter 10, where the writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet Together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as see as we see the day drawing near, meaning the return of Jesus. And so the writer's like, hey, we shouldn't we shouldn't neglect meeting together, that together, you and me, we should be challenging each other, encouraging, edifying, and saying, Hey, we can be better. And as we are better followers of Christ, as an outcome or byproduct. We're better husbands and wives. We're better dads and moms. We're better neighbors. We're better friends and family members because of that. And so we're going to start this morning by looking at this incredible story found in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book of the New Testament. And uh, you may or may not be aware, if you're new to Bible study, let me kind of bring you up to speed on who John is. John was one of the disciples of Jesus. And he's actually known as the beloved disciple because he was really kind of a BFF of Jesus. That while the disciples encountered and saw and experienced and eyewitnessed a lot of incredible things that Jesus did and said... John was one of those disciples, kind of in the inner circle, that experienced a little bit more than the regular disciple. And so what we see in, the, in his gospel are eyewitness accounts that he is writing, not some fairy tale, but he's writing, this is what I saw with my eyes. This is what I experienced. And in chapter four, we see this incredible interaction between Jesus and a woman that It's really going to set up 2023 in what I think an unbelievable way. Now, I say this, we're going to read the first 30 verses. That's because I love the Bible. So um, hopefully you do too. And if you're like, that's a lot, then you should love the Bible, okay? But chapter 4, this is an incredible story. We'll kind of break it up as we go. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens. Um, It says this, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, that's John the Baptist, if you remember, not John the disciple, he's not like talking in first person here. Um, Although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So what's happening is the religious leaders, the Pharisees, are getting wind of what Jesus is doing. They don't like it. They're threatened. They're like, who is this guy? They reject him. It's blasphemy. And they're coming after him. And Jesus is filling the heat. So he's like, hey, you know what? Let's go to Galilee. All right? Bye, Felicia. So he goes to Galilee with his disciples. And it says he had to pass through Samaria, so when he came to town to Samaria, or he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, so it was around noon. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, "Give me a drink." And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Now, this is just in, I'm assuming this, but it seems like this woman has a little bit of a a sass to her. Because Jesus comes and is like, hey, let me tell you about living water. If you knew who it was that's asking you for it, you would know I give living water. And she's like, bro. You don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. How are you going to get water? Where is this living water? And so Jesus then, or she then responds, um, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, let me pause for just a second. You can see the tension. And if you've been in church and you have a relationship with Jesus, you know Jesus is talking about himself. He's... It's metaphorically speaking, he's not talking about actual physical water. So he's saying, you come to me, you have a relationship with me, you surrender to me, and I will give you life. And the life I give you will be like a spring that will just, it will boil up in you. It will bubble up, and it will continue to give and to satisfy. But she's not connecting the dots yet. She still thinks he's talking about the physical water. So she says, you know what, I don't want to be thirsty again. And I don't wanna come here again. It's a lot of work for me to carry buckets here in the heat of the day at noon to get some water, carry it back. I'm tired of doing it. So could you just make it easy? You know. So give me this water, show me where it's at so I don't have to thirst and I don't have to come here. She's talking about physical needs. He, Jesus is talking about spiritual needs. Now it kind of, the tide turns. In verse 16, Jesus says to her, go call your husband, And come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now I can imagine if there's middle school boys right there, they're like, Oh, because like Jesus just confronted her sin. But we're going to talk about this in just a second. I don't think that Jesus is doing it to to necessarily condemn her. We'll see that in just a second. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Duh, he just like read all your mail, lady, all right? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, uh, that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, He's revealing who he is. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So just when the disciples came back, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, why do you, uh, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar And went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. So let me kind of give give some context. This is so important, so rich in this is that the gospel of John is really framed around seven interactions between Jesus and an individual. Different stories, different personalities, backgrounds. But as you see and as, as you walk through the gospel of John, you see these beautiful interactions where Jesus is meeting with these people. And John writes it in such a way that what Jesus is showing and revealing about himself and about these individuals You and I, as we read, are like, you know what? Jesus is talking to me. That's me. I can understand that. I struggle with that. Or I'm dealing with that. Or there's where my faith is at. And so we read it in such a way, it's so significant. And I, I honestly believe that this is one of the most significant interactions. And here's why. One, this is the longest recorded conversation of Jesus with anyone. And so you see that. On top of that, where it is placed in the gospel of John, I think John did on purpose to paint a picture. And here's why. Just the chapter before in chapter 3, we see that Jesus is in this private interaction with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to him at night, and he is one a man. We know his name is Nicodemus. He's a religious leader. He has a ton of moral character. We see that He is an influential man in his community. He is a leader. He's a man of respect. He's well-respected. And then you turn the page to chapter four, and we see a stark difference. Jesus now interacts with a woman. She's unnamed. She's not respected. The highlight of her story is her immoral past. And so Really, John paints this incredible picture of Nicodemus, who's way up here, and this woman who you would consider down here. And at the end of the day, what John is showing us as Jesus interacts with both of them is that the gospel is for all people. The good news is for the well-intended Spiritual, whatever leader up here, well respected in his community, to the person who is an outcast, who is defined by a scarlet letter. And everyone in between Jesus and the gospel, the good news, is for all people. And so um, John is pointing this out. And as we get to um, John chapter four in this interaction, it really is the first person whom Jesus overtly reveals himself to as the Messiah. He's telling her, I'm the living water. You know, you worship what you don't know. We're worshiping, and and we worship in spirit and truth. He's telling this lady, I'm Jesus. The person that you say, well, the Messiah will come. That is Christ. He's going to come and tell us all things. He says, who you're talking to, that's, that's I. That's me. I'm the Messiah. So it plays an important, significant role of where this lady is, and what's happening. And out of that, just want to point out three things this morning because three is the magical pastor number, I feel like. All right? Don't, don't you ever realize every sermon's like three points? You're like, why do you always do that? You want there to be seven points? Exactly. No, you're like, no, don't. Okay? So, point number one, if you're taking notes, one of the things that we see when this lady meets Jesus, her priorities changed. Her priorities changed. All of this woman's life, she has been searching. She's been searching for satisfaction. She's been searching for something to fill that void, that longing. Now with this lady, she's been searching for that in relationships. She's been looking for that right relationship to satisfy and to meet her needs, to have a purpose. She's five husbands in and she hasn't found it. It's not working. She's not satisfied. And I would say in our life, We look for all kind of other things. And I've said this before, as Pascal says, that we all have a God-shaped void in our life. We try to fill that void with other things. This woman is looking for satisfaction and purpose in relationships um, that she has. But then we get to this point in verse 16 when Jesus says, go and call your husband. And she's like, I have no husband. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Now, I wholeheartedly believe this is not a point of condemnation. He's not like, okay, let me tell you about your life. You're such a sinner. What he's showing is he's exposing her sin to open up her eyes for her to really understand the weight and the mess of her life. And it was in this moment, it's almost as if her eyes are open to be like, it took you telling me that my life is a mess. Are you with me? And if you really think about this, this is so applicable for for you and, and me because a truthful evaluation of our lives exposes our need for a shift in eternal priorities. Here's what I mean by that. Is that you and I, we can get in such the routine of life that sometimes we need an honest evaluation, not Christian fluff, not like I have it all together, not the churchy answers, not, you know, wh- you know, fill in the blank, let me just kind of pass over it and sweep it under the rug. I'm saying an honest evaluation reality check of where our lives are in our walk with God. And oftentimes, in order for that to happen, we need someone, something, a circumstance, a season, whatever, to shake us and to get our attention. Are you with me? Sometimes it takes something uh, that's tragic or hard or blatant to come into us, to shake us, and it might be an honest critique to get our attention, to say, you know what? I'm not living the way I should be living. I'm not living the way that God has commanded me to live. And in this moment, Jesus calls out her sin to get her attention, not to necessarily condemn her, but to open up her eyes. And in this moment, she realizes you know what? I'm empty. I have been looking at all kinds of other things in men to try to fulfill this satisfaction in this void in my life. And her priorities changed in this moment. It changed. It was no longer about, you know what? I need another husband or whatever the case may be. It was, who is this guy? What is he offering me? And my life does need to change. And here's what I love about this, how John writes this. It's such a simple thing just to read over. But if you look at verse 28, John writes, So the woman left her water jar and went away into town. She traveled all this way in the heat of the day to get some water. She encounters Jesus, and the very reason why she was there to get water That wasn't her priority anymore. She left her water jar to go tell people about what she just encountered and who she just met. I love that. It's like, you know what? I'm not even worried about the water now. Let me go tell people about who this man is, what he is telling me. So her priorities drastically changed. Here's the second point that we see. Her past didn't disqualify her. Her past didn't disqualify her. This unnamed woman, the Samaritan woman, she had a past. And I would even say she probably had a present, like we all do. And her past and her present was marked by, she was the other woman. She was the mistress of the town. She she was the, the outcast. She, you know, she was the scarlet letter If you will, she was the home wrecker. And even in the midst of that, Jesus still came and met her right where she was. Now, think about this. Not only was she a woman marked with a immoral past, but she was a Samaritan woman. If you know anything about your biblical history at the time, Jews and Samaritans, we even see John writes it, did not associate with one another. A Samaritan was an offspring of a Jew intermarrying with a Gentile who were looked down upon and having children that created the ethnicity of a Samaritan. They were frowned upon. You didn't associate with them. You didn't talk to them. They were considered unclean. Anything they touched was unclean. So you just did not associate with them. So I do find it quite interesting that when the disciples show up back to the well after buying food, and Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, they didn't ask a, a thing. They didn't say anything. If I was a disciple, I'd be like, why are you talking to this woman? You're Jewish. Jew, she's a Samaritan, stop. You're bothering him, get out of here. But it just shows that this really was a divine appointment of Jesus. That breaking all cultural um, norms, Breaking her past, he says, You know what? We need to go talk to this lady. Now, to get from Judea to Galilee, there were three main routes. One was more of a coastal route, one was more of a scenic route, took you a little bit longer, or you could go right through Samaria. But most Jews, if not all Jews, did not do that because they hated them. And so Jesus says, You know what? We need to get to Galilee. We're going right through Samaria. Once again, just the words of this text in verse 4. I love this. John says, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to do it. Jesus knew. He wanted to see this woman right where she is in all of her pain, guilt, emptiness, non-satisfaction, her hurt, whatever the case is at 12 o'clock at this well of her ancestors to say, you know what? I want to give you something. And it's going to be the greatest gift that you could ever have. It's living water and it will fully satisfy you. So her past didn't disqualify her. And here's what I love this super simple, two reasons. One, it tells me that God can use anyone. Never disqualify yourself. Be like, I have a horrible past. God can use anyone. Here's the second thing, that God wants to speak to everyone. He wants his word to echo through every single heart and mind and, and be on the heart of every single individual that you and I encounter. There is no one too messed up or too disqualified in the world's standards that doesn't need to hear about Jesus. Jesus. And so what we see is Jesus is in this moment doing this. And it's so true that the people who matter to God must matter to us. There is no, you know what? (sighs) They're really hard. They'll never believe in him. You know what? I just can't do it. I can't associate with that person. You and I are that person. Praise God that somebody, if you're a believer, came to you at some point in your life and told you about Jesus, invited you to church, whatever the story is. So, how selfish would it be for us to say, you know what? They don't deserve the gospel. And so, in 2023, let us be faithful, diligent, resilient, however you need to put it, for us to go after those people because oftentimes we avoid uncomfortable places conversations and people. And let us not be like that in 2023. Let us be and approach people like Jesus approached them to go over it, um, to go after it and to get over it, to say, you know what? It might be a little uncomfortable, but I need to do this. And that comes with maturity. Oftentimes we don't want to have gospel conversations because we really don't know the gospel. So let us be in God's word. Let us be spending time with him to go after people who are broken and hurt. Here's the third point this morning, excuse me, is that her people were her audience. Skip to verse 39. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She went and told people. She told her people. She told other Samaritans. And it says many of them now believed. Think about this. She's a woman at the day Not a great eyewitness, credible source. But then she's telling them about a Jewish man she met. And it would be easy for them to be like, a Jewish man, we hate him. But they believed. Because they saw something in her that was so real and genuine, said something happened to this woman. We need to believe that. We need to believe that. And so... She says that and says, So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Her testimony changed their life. And that's because really a transformed heart leads. To a transferred gospel. When God changes your life, you can't help but tell other people about it. It transfers to people. If he really changed your life, you're not private about it. You tell people about it. It's not like, hey, let me kind of live in this shame. It's like, let me tell you, God changed my life. I want him to change your life. You're experiencing pain and suffering and shame. Let me tell you about the living water. That's how we should be. And so as we look at 2023, as we set goals, as we make resolutions, let it be in really in the foreground of our mind. Are, are we reflecting Jesus to the people that know us? In our sphere of, influ- of influence, do people see Jesus? Or they to see us, a good person, a moral man or woman, or they're really kind. I mean, that's all part of it, but do they see Jesus? Are we having those conversations? Are we praying for those conversations? If you've been a part of our church over the last year, a year ago roughly, we started this one initiative to pray for one person that we know. Now let me be real. Praying for one person is easy. It's actually talking to them and starting those conversations that's hard. We need to start doing that and put in some work. Invite them to our dinner table. Invite them to lunch at work. Give them a call, send them a text, meet them for coffee. I love what Paul says in Romans 10. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Now, the word preaching there just means to communicate. So it's not just, well, you got to get him to church, let the preacher do it. It's you and me communicating to them. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Whether you believe this or think this or not, the word is clear that you and I are missionaries. And every single Sunday when you leave this place and you get in your car, you are being sent to be the feet of Jesus. So let us, with passion and brokenness, lead people to to the living water. Let's pray together. Father, we know every single one of us need an awakening of our hearts. Oftentimes we become so complacent in our faith and all kinds of other things uh, become the priority. God, I pray that this this morning, that there's something right now, January 1 of 2023, that as a, a believer, as a church family, that we would be diligent this year to see lives radically changed. That we would invite people into this amazing story that you invited this woman into, to taste and drink of the living water, the, the water that would always satisfy. Let us not be selfish with that, but let us be generous with the good news of you. And so Father, as we close in worship, let that be our heart. And I pray for the person that's here this morning that has never tasted living water. They've never surrendered. They've never given their life to you. God, I pray that today is that day. Just as that woman said, okay, you know what? I, I, I wanna live for you. I wanna tell people about you. I want my life, my priorities to change. Let today be that day where someone just says, you know, God, I surrender my life to you. Let them come talk to me up front or ask for prayer afterwards. We could talk, connect for coffee. God, let this be a time of response. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand. Let's close and worship. And let's respond to whatever Jesus is laying on your heart this morning.